All right, fold your hands, close your eyes. Here we go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Okay, welcome back. So, I never know uh, if it's going too quickly or too slowly, but then it occurs to me that the Christian life is really pretty simple, at least in description, but in execution, ah, maybe not so good. So, you should stop me. I'm getting more emails from you during the week. That's always the first step. Then the next step is you fill out one of those little cards and you sneak it up onto the podium while my back is turned so I can't identify you. And then, you know, about the eighth or ninth week, we'll be friends enough that we can, you know, say things out loud. So, but you remember how simple this is. My, and really, this is all I'm trying to do is convince you that God loves you. I gave you a little bit of a nouan quote to start you here, right? So there's... I gave you just three, but look for the one that's now. One thing we know for sure about God, our God is a God of the living, not of the dead. So already you should be thinking about, you know, what I tried to draw up here for you. God is the God of the living, not the dead. God is beauty. God is goodness. God is truth. God doesn't want us to die. God wants us to live. Our God who loves us from eternity to eternity wants to give us life for eternity. When that life was interrupted by our unwillingness to give our full yes to God's love. So there you have a definition of sin. You say no. When that life was interrupted by our unwillingness to give our full yes to God's love, God sent Jesus to be with us and to say that great yes in our name and thus restore us to eternal life so let's not be afraid of death. There is no cruel boss, vengeful enemy, or cruel tyrant waiting to destroy us. Only a loving, always forgiving God, eager to welcome us home. So that's about as far as we've been. I've tried to convince you that you started dead. You remember, that's necros. And then, and I'll let this, I want to let this get bigger and bigger. You know, this place where Jesus carries you. Now, this is super important. Uh, you know, at least by the third or fourth week, I can emphasize the path, passive verb. You were baptized or you were carried. There's this idea of motion, that you're a dead body. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're like the guy on the side of the road when you hear the Good Samaritan story. You're the lost sheep. You're done for. You're the paralytic. Right? There's nothing you can do. There's no, nothing you can do. And this actually, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, all religions are the same. This is actually the touchstone for Christianity and everything else. Christianity is the only religion that gives God full credit for this. That God does everything. God is love. God doesn't want you to die. God comes and rescues you. And God brings you here. And we've got a couple of names for this now. This is what it is to be in Christ uh, or in the church, right? Or in the body of Christ. So these things have started to stack up over the past couple of weeks. But the primary difference between um, Christianity and everything else is that you don't make your own way here. You don't work your way into this. 
You don't do something and then God answers. God does everything. And this is the reason I started with dead. Dead is a doornail. You're dead and there's nothing you can do. You can't decide for Christ. You can't do a good work. You can't muster up the strength. God picks you up here and brings you into the church. So uh, you remember, I tried to say then, the only story in scripture is the story of death and resurrection. And when we read Romans 6, it says that you share in Christ's death, burial, resurrection, new life, and glory. And that you think would be an irresistible offer. It's like saying, I love you so. Except that river ran the other way, sort of. But anyway, um, you know, you, when somebody says, I love you so, you know, what else can you say but thank you very much, or yes, or I'll have more, please. Or, and that's, of course, how faith is. Faith just says, yes, thank you very much, I'll have more, this is great. And if that were true, if that's how it worked out, life would be so easy for us. I'll read you this. I, we read this last week, but you remember uh, from John's Gospel, chapter 15. Jesus says to the disciples, this is, this is 15. If you wanted to look it up, you could. It's um, 15, 9, 10, 11 in there. Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father loved me, I loved you. This is great stuff. So Jesus, on the almost last night of his life, just says to his disciples over dinner, I really love you. As the Father loved me, I love you. Now, stay put. Remain in my love. So this is the love Christ has for you. He puts you here. And then Jesus says, stay put. That's the whole point. Stay where I put you. Now remain in my love. And now this is where it's going to get difficult, not because of Jesus, but because of us, not because of the church, I hope, but because of how we speak to ourselves. If you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Now all of a sudden things are getting weird. So love has to do with obedience. And immediately that begins to rub us the wrong way. But I'm going to try to argue today that that goes along with joy and satisfaction and happiness and truth and hope. I'm going to try to argue that all these things, and I could give you a dozen more things, that pure love bestows all of these things. And so Jesus says to you, you were here, Ephesians 2, 1, you were necros, dead in your trespasses and sins, Romans 6, I baptized you and I put you here. And now if you could just, if you would just stay put, and then he sums it up for you. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. Right? You're my friends. And you remember how friends is a technical term. I mean, that was used for Abraham and Moses. People were stunned when, 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 when Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses, a friend. Now, all of a sudden, 
you're a friend as well. It's difficult for us to believe, so difficult that we often refuse to stay put. But um, that's where we are. Now, I, Carol, I need you already. As you know, my mind is swirling. Grab a catechism <clears throat> while Carol reloads. Um, and here you go. Okay. Open it up to the very beginning. Thanks, Mary. Just to the Ten Commandments. So grab a catechism. And if you grab it, right at the beginning, you'll find the Ten Commandments. Now, you remember last week, I expressed my, hey, Carol, I need one of each of those so I can remember what I'm doing. All right. Because after all, I got no idea. Can I have one of those, please? Well, you're going to get three, three more things right away. Thanks. Mary, can I just have one of those? Thanks. So I observed last week, but it's like shooting fish in a barrel. I observed that most people who grew up in the church grew up with somebody doing this to them. And almost universally, uh, people who grew up in the church have the sense that somebody was wagging a finger at them. And almost universally, people outside the church say, uh, those people are so judgmental. The diocese of, I don't think it was Joliet, I think it was a little farther down, had a, ran a survey. They just surveyed their neighbors, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago and said, you know, what do you think about the church? And there are, of course, dozens of things people could say. But the thing that they said... Their primary sense of the church was that the church was judgmental or that the church hated them in some sense. So we at least, at least for you, I want to talk about these things, how this might work for you. And I want to, in your ears, I hope you remember the C.S. Lewis bit that I gave you where he said, our trouble is that we're too easily pleased. You know, we'll settle, we'll settle for alcohol, we'll settle for drugs, we'll settle for sex, we'll settle for pleasure, we'll settle for money. Our problem in life is that we're too easily pleased. That we'll settle for temporary happiness or a half-truth. So I gave you Capon's nose slicer last week. You know, feels good while you're doing it, but you wake up the next morning and ah, you wish you hadn't. So the question then, I think, is how would you know where the boundary is? How would you know if you're in and out? And you remember, I tried to give you, and this is fairly sophisticated, even though it's not hard to understand. Sin is when you say, God doesn't love me. You basically call God a liar. So every sin, every sin begins with this. God doesn't love me. He doesn't love me enough. He doesn't love me now. Right? Every sin, and so every sin then, every sin is a betrayal. All of this the Lord has done for you. He found you when you were dead, and he brought you here, and he gave you life, and he didn't just make you a servant. He made you a son. This is my beloved son, that you are my child. Mary is your mother. John is your brother. The church is your home. There's something about us that we just, we just can't observe the boundary. This is the Adam and Eve story, right? There's just something out here that looks better to us. And that's because we choose to believe ourselves rather than believing God. 
in a couple of weeks, you'll hear the Christmas story. And um, when it comes, you'll notice that this is precisely the life that was promised in the Messiah. So the prophet comes to the king, and the king, he says, you, you, know, you can ask anything you want. And the king says, Pfft. and then the prophet says, okay then, I'll tell you how it's going to be. This is from uh, Isaiah chapter 7. The Lord spoke to Ahaz, said, ask a sign. Ahaz said, no, I won't. So he disobeys the prophet. And then he says, well, God's a bit tired of you, but don't worry, he'll be back. And now this you're used to, Isaiah chapter 7. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That part you're used to. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows, or sometimes it's translated before he eats curds and honey, so from birth or from as young as he can be. Before he eats curds and honey, he will know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, then he goes on and says the land will be destroyed. But isn't it interesting that, you know, what we're used to is hearing, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. But is it interesting that his way of life will be, he'll refuse the evil and embrace the good. And that is your entire way of life. That's the Christian, that's the Christian way that you would refuse the evil and embrace the good. I was, if you come to confession, I don't talk about you, but I can, I can tell you things I learn in confession. I was in confession with a person once, um, you know, thing, this and that. And then the person said, so what you're telling me is, my sins just aren't good for me. I thought to myself, as a matter of fact, that is exactly what I'm telling you. That this isn't good for you. This is good for you. This isn't good for you. This is really good for you. This is horrible for you. This is life. This is death. And that's as simple as it gets. And so you have this great gratitude for God that he picked you up and he moved you to a new place. And then he says to you, stay put. The thing that gets so difficult for us is we are not very good at that. In fact, we believe somehow that God is here to ruin our fun. Now, the scriptures talk completely opposite that. You know, they talk about the word of God or the law of God as refreshing us, as being good for us. You remember how Psalm 1 speaks, you know, blessed is the one who doesn't go in the way of sinners or, or, or stand in the way uh, of those who would do evil or sit in the way of scoffers. And this is how temptation always works, of course. You see something 
wonderful. I'm just using you because you're there, not for any other reason. <laughs> you see something tempting, and instead of walking by, you stop, and you sit down, and you engage. This is how every sin works. That you look across the border to things that aren't good for you, and you wander to them, and you love them more than God himself. So it's really important then, and quite a gift, if God would tell us where the border lies. Of course, I handed out everything but the one that I want to talk about. No, you're good. Just stay right there. I, could, I can't be saved at this point. Second Corinthians uh, 13, 5. Examine yourselves. Are you living the life of faith? You should have a good look at yourself. This would be, in here would be, then also faith. Examine yourselves. Are you living the life of faith? Are you living the life where Jesus says you should stay put? Examine yourselves. Are you living the life of faith? Put yourselves to the test. You could check with Pastor Vitt. He's the latest one who's been to seminary, but I'm sure that he would find that that Greek word is diskurno, which means telling the difference between one thing and another. You sift, you weigh, you test. Put your lives to the test. Surely you recognize that Jesus Christ is among you. Unless, of course, you prove unequal to the test. Surely you realize that you live here unless you've been living out here. Surely you're living in love. Certainly you're staying put. Certainly you're obeying. Certainly your joy is increasing. Certainly you think this is true. Certainly you have faith. Certainly this will end in happiness for eternity. Certainly You've put yourself to the test. I hope you will come to see that we are not unequal to it. Our prayer to God is that you do no wrong so that we are not concerned to be vindicating ourselves. We want you to do what is right. Here you go, you can take that now if you would. So if you'd pick up a catechism That'd be your best hope right now for figuring out what the border looks like. Now, if you go to page 13, um, you get Luther's take on what we did last week. So you remember I tried to convince you, as my Old Testament professor Horace Hummel, who was one of a kind guy, would say, the Ten Commandments were gospel before they were law. And so you remember it doesn't even say commandments in the scriptures, it says the Ten Words. So the Lord comes to Israel and he said, hey, Here's 10 things to think about, or 10 ways I love you, or 10 ways that will make your life wonderful. Or another way to say it is, pay attention to these 10 things and the rest of the world is yours, which is a, a beautiful kind of Lutheran, expansive way of seeing the world. It's not like the whole world is a lot of finger wagon and you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do that. You can't. No, no, if you observe these 10 things, you can have everything else, it's all yours. So you remember, I sort of gave this to you last week. We were in Exodus 20. The Lord comes to Moses and says, let's go. And then all the people leave. They are, if you will, 
resurrected from Egypt where they're slaves and not human and have no rights, have no God, have no land, have nothing. They are resurrected from here and taken into the promised land. And then the Lord says, this is how we'll do it. First he says, I love you so much, I'll be your God. So don't mess this up. You wouldn't want to have any other gods. This is 13, the first commandment. Don't have any other gods. All the other gods are lies. All the other gods are false. All the other gods break their promises. You shall have no other gods. And that, frankly, is the only one you really need. If you, if you, have, if you, if you, if you hold to the first commandment, the rest of them will all be fine. The rest are derivative. What does that mean, Luther? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. So fear, love, I didn't get fear up here. But fear has, uh, now be careful here, this doesn't have to, this isn't fear in the sense of you'd be super afraid. It has more to do with awe, you know, you're meeting the king. Or this, this has to do with you're, you're so, it, it's the way when Isaiah goes to heaven in Isaiah 6, he, he sort of he can't, Everything is smoky and bright and loud and there are angels and crazy creatures and God is on the throne and you don't quite know how to process it. That's, it's, it's not sort of the way you're afraid of somebody who's going to beat you up. It's you're in the presence of greatness, of beauty, of purity, of light. So you fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And then after that, you remember, uh, after God said, now don't have any other gods, so that'll be a betrayal. That'll break our relationship. Then he said, if you ever need me, just call my name. I never gave my name to anybody before, but I'll give it to you, and you can use it whenever you want. And so now you know we're very careful when we pray on Sunday, when we pray the names. You pray, Oh Lord, you pray, oh Jesus, forgive, or you pray, we'll, we'll talk about the later when we get to prayer. But you have, if you will, in some sense, God at your beck and call. But you have to hear that in the right way. But God always present with you. So God loves you so, and he stays near to you, as near as your ability to speak or think, to pray, to worship, you know. Don't have any other gods and don't use any other names. Um, even the New York Times had a, you know, when it, by the time it gets to the front page of the Times, you know, it's too late. Uh, the explosion of witchcraft in America, right? I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. It's, um, it'll be the new next thing that pastors will have to deal with because the residual effects of being entrapped by the demonic go on for generations. So if that troubles you, you should come see a pastor or if you have it in your family or have been open to it in some way. But holy God and then a holy name. Don't misuse the name of God. So I don't get upset um, with children if they, you know, you know, drop an F-bomb in confirmation class. But to say, God damn it, is almost irretrievable. Or the way that Jesus' name is cast around so easily. Oh, Jesus Christ, you know, people, you know. So there's a distinction here between sort of vulgar talk. That's not what this is so much about in the first level. It's rather about 
God met you at the burning bush and gave you his name. Or you got baptized and he put his name on you. That name saved you. It carried you from here up to here. And you would never misuse this. This is why marriage is such a great analogy for how the church works, right? You are married to your spouse and you don't have any other spouse, first commandment. And you have a spouse who has a name, who bears your name, with whom you share a name, and you never, ever defile or abuse that name in any way. So don't have any other gods and don't have any other names. Now, why? This is really important. Why? Because it will ruin your fun? Because, you know, it keeps you from being a white witch? I think Kirby and I said once we were, the first time we went to New Orleans, which is, you know, its own gig. Um, we're walking down the street and there was kind of, you know, some kind of trinket store and it said, come cast a spell at our altar at four o'clock. It was like witch's happy hour. I took a picture of it and then I took, I took it later, I took a picture to show you and then later I took it off my phone because I was like, yeah, that's too close for comfort for me. I've seen too many weird things. I go, you know, what's going on? But the grasp at power and pleasure for people who feel very displaced, unpleased, and people who very, feel very unempowered. I mean, our world is ripe for this. But for you, examine yourselves. Don't have any other gods. Not even the gods who promise you a lot of things. And don't use any other names, right? Because it'll just go badly for you. None of these things will happen for you. How can you, how can you possibly, you, I mean, how can we possibly understand that something is being done to infringe upon us if we understand the word of God this way? And then the third commandment, oh, I probably should give you what Luther says. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we don't curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie, deceive by his name. Right? So you don't say, no, I swear to God that da, 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 right? Or use it the way it's meant to be used. But call upon in on every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So where's the edge? No other gods, no other names. Right? Stay inside because it's good for you. Not because this is so wonderful. The history of the world is how wonderful this is not here. And then um, the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, partly what we have to remember when we read this is, again, all other religions and then Christianity. So one difference is that God does everything for you and gives it to you as a gift. That's the primary thing about Christianity. God does everything. But now it gets explained in the third commandment. What's the difference between a Sabbath in the church and a Sabbath everywhere else? In every other religion, on the Sabbath, you gather to serve God. You've seen this. People bring food to the gods. People make sacrifices for the gods. Even the reading we had this week in Morning Eucharist was about child sacrifice. Right? People um, you remember the prophets of Baal. You cut, you cut yourselves to get his attention. So, you know, in every other religion, you serve God. 
in Christianity, God serves you. How does God serve you? He baptizes you. He speaks lovingly to you and forgives your sins. He pulls you to his altar and he feeds you his body and blood. He puts his name on you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. If you keep going in number six, it says, this is how you bless my people. You put, your, you put my name on them. You actually take the name and put it on them. So, don't have any other gods, don't have any other names, and see you Sunday, where I will forgive you, bless you, recharge you, console you, lead you, guide you, put you together as one, and lead you into joy and satisfaction and happiness and truth and faith. Now, it is just beyond me when people then speak about God's law or his Ten Commandments says a horrible thing. This is the most wonderful thing you can possibly imagine, that God himself has revealed himself to you so that you can not only be blessed, but you can stay put and stay warned. It's, it's remarkable, remarkable stuff. I just have talked kind of forever, but this is kind of exciting for me. So, uh, questions about any of this? The thing is, Michael, if I look this way, there's no questions. <laughs> yes, John? So, uh, my understanding is faith that keeps us within the circle, correct? Uh, when you say faith, are you talking about you or are you talking about Jesus? Well, it's like, how do we resist the temptation to leave the circle? I would assume it's by faith. We have faith that it will You got to Jesus, John. I'm feeling better. So um, Jesus has a guard tower here and a machine gun nest. This is landmines all over the place. And you're running toward this. And you have a lick of sense, John, you would say, I have faith that landmines will blow up and machine gun bullets are very powerful. And besides that, Jesus is watching me. Oh, yeah, I forgot the razor wire. Right? So here, from the Nagel archives. Faith can't talk about itself. So if you say, if by faith you mean Jesus loves me, Jesus forgives me, Jesus resurrected me, Jesus baptized me, Jesus only is for my good, and Jesus tells me this isn't good for me, I'll take faith as an answer all day long. If you talk about the strength you or I might have in our own pious little hearts, I'm going to DraftKings and taking the under, okay? <laughs> There's a test for only you have to stay after to talk about your habits outside. <laughs> so does this make sense? Yeah, I guess how can you strengthen that mindset then? Even like our fallen nature and like we, it's so easy for us to not think about that. But how can you as an individual remind yourself over and over? Yes. That this is truth. Yes. Yes, I would, if I were you, as you leave today, I would go out, open your car door, and then I would slam your thumb in the door. And I would slam your thumb in the door about 10 more times until you say, this is a really bad idea.
Okay, and if it doesn't stick with you, I'd slam your thumb on the door one more time. In fact, you may have to go whole hand if it's really something that could get to you, right? Yeah. Faith, scripture, Jesus himself says to you, hey, John, your sins just aren't good for you. So I have a little, um, let's take pornography. Since you don't want to talk about it, but frankly, the percentage of, like, I just read some things like, 87% of kids under 11 have been exposed, have watched pornography. But, you know, you kind of go, this is my great argument when we move the, you know, you don't commune kids until they're 14, but they've got a drug dealer and they're watching porn all day long when they're seven, but they might not be fit to have the inoculation for that, which would be the Holy Supper, right? So what do you do? There actually are things you can do. For pornography, for example, something for your eyes. Put an icon on your phone, if that's the place where you go to watch pornography. Something for your hand. Get a crucifix, not a cross, a crucifix, so you can tactily feel the body of Christ. Buy yourself a rosary and give it a little clip. It's easy. And then, uh, you know, something for your mind. Memorize a little scripture. And something for your lips. Say some prayers. Um, folks find it extraordinarily difficult to watch pornography while they're staring at an icon of Jesus the teacher holding a crucifix, reciting the 23rd Psalm. There's just something about it, right? <laughs> so yes, of course, and the spiritual disciplines, right? And that's kind of chapter two of all this. You know, it starts with baptism and the Lord's Supper and going to the liturgy. It continues with particular troubles people have. And one of the things that's different about St. John, we hope, is that you'll take us as your pastors, which means you will come to us and say, I got this trouble or that, and then we'll, we'll say, oof, that's not good for you, but you might want to, you know, bump and nudge this, right? I'd say to you, hey, stop, yeah. The car door, yeah. You might want to just go with the automatic up-down thing and keep your fingers back. That's probably where I'd go, right? But then if there's other things to talk about as you go through life, because what will happen is, it'll be more important things, like somebody dear to you will die. Or you'll do something so horrible that you can't believe that God loves you anymore. Or you'll just get rich. I mean, a guy like you could win the lottery and you'd forget to tithe. I have a story about tithing to the church for you later. And that, and, but then, you know, you just, you know, you're at brunch all the time at Cantini when we're here having the Holy Supper and you're like, yeah, but brunch, it has champagne. They, mimosas, you never have mimosas at church. That's what you'll say, things like that to me, right? and I can help you with all these things, okay? So, yes, of course, it's faith if by faith you mean I read my scriptures and see objectively what God says. Don't have any other gods, don't have any other names, and I'll meet you here on Sunday. Make sense? But th this is, your, the, the question is so beautiful because it is the entry point to the Christian life. Because you'll begin to discover, I mean, every day I'm, I, you know, I read about saints and I read about, I read theology and I read and I discover things about people and I'm like, how could I have never thought of that? I mean, I, at my age, always in the church, and you, you learn something, you kind of go, Make, no, this makes complete sense, right? You not know. But on we go. Questions about other stuff? You still okay? As long as we're going, let's just do the other one. So the first one is, the first three commandments are have God. So have his name, have him as God, have his name, and come to see him. He's got a ring doorbell. He wants to see you show up. There you go. So then, 
for the, for the um, oh, remember the Sabbath day. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we don't despise preaching in his word. Out here is where people despise him. You want to be in here where people love him. Love, hate. It's as simple as that. Don't despise it, but hold it sacred gladly here and learn it. Come to the liturgy. I just turned the page. This is 16. Oh, no, it's not. I turned too many. This is 14. Thank you. I'm aging and my pieces are beginning not to work anymore. The first ones are all about God. Uh, the first three, the last seven are all about other people. Now, I realize you may come from another tradition. Jews number these differently, um, as do some reform folks. It's fine, actually. That's however you want to number them. You know, get to 10 any way you can. That's okay with me. Honor your father and mother. Hey, what does that mean? Because my father and my mother were both horrible. They weren't, but I just say this to you because I know some of you, some of your deepest wounds are from your parents. How could this possibly work? We fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents or other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. At bottom here, is the idea that order and family are both gifts from God. You know, it's fun to be an anarchist until the other side uh, wins the day. Then it's not quite as much fun. Order, the first thing that God does in scriptures, Genesis 1, the world is tohu, wabohu, Hebrew for chaotic. And the very first thing God does is order it. Let there be light. And the light was separated from the darkness. Order is the way of God. And one of the orders that God blesses us with are families, mothers and fathers. Now, here's the thing, you know, and it's, um, I don't have to recount all this for you. Uh, you've, had, you've been wounded and you've had people, friends who have been wounded and to the point where, you know, I meet 10 people a year who can't say the Our Father because their fathers had been so horrible to them. We can talk about that too if you want, but let me just say, if your father was a bum, it doesn't mean that every father was a bum. Or if your mother was a drunk and she left you, that doesn't mean that every mother is a horrible mother. This, of course, is why you have God as your father and the church or the Blessed Virgin Mother take your choice or both as your mother. Because one bad father doesn't mean all fathers are bad. And one bad mother doesn't mean all mothers are bad. So the full stretch of this would be when you could come and pray the Our Father and mean it. That you could have a father again or you could have a family again. Most people I know or have met through the years have some diminished family life uh, or have been broken by their families in some ways. The good news is, and frankly, this is the reason you come on Saturday mornings, is to get the ground rules right. We don't want to be like every other church, and we don't want to be like every other family. What we want is for you to come here and have baptismal water run thicker in your, in your veins than the blood you got from your parents. Jesus looked around and said, when his cousins and his Mother came to get him because they thought he was crazy. Who is my brother, my sister, 
here is my family. The people who live here and not here. So this is a very hopeful thing that you could have a father to honor and a mother to embrace you. And don't ruin it. You've all been in churches that were ruined. You've all been in families that have been ruined. Some of you are very young and just starting your families. Go to work. Do not repeat my heirs or the heirs of your parents or the heirs of people you've seen. Go to work. Get it right. It all lies in this line right here where love and obedience and satisfaction and joy and truth and faith are all synonyms. When you say one and you've said all the others, that's when you know you're there. So start by honoring your father and your mother. We should fear and love God. We don't despise them, but serve them, honor, obey them, love and cherish. We can debate later someday when Hitler stops being a legitimate authority. You can check Bonhoeffer on that. Fifth commandment, don't murder. Because why? That would overstep. You act like God. Life and death belongs to God. You remember that life is a gift from God. Dead people are made alive by God and by God alone. You may not do this and you may not do this. Justice makes wrongs right. Injustice makes rights wrong. Neither of those belong to you. So among them, somebody else's life. You don't get to decide when other people live and die. Don't murder. We should fear and love God so that we don't hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every, every bodily need. If you see somebody who needs some help, then go ahead and help them. Sixth commandment. No adultery, that's not gonna work out. You go to the altar before God and you say, this is my wife, this is my husband, and the Lord says, okay, good to go, until the day you die. And so, um, you know, be respectful of that, keep your word. You know, be a man, be a woman, be what you were meant to be. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and what we do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. Now, certainly you can plead contingencies and troubles and abuses and desertions and violence and all the rest, and that's another day's conversation. All of those need to be engaged. My suggestion to you is that the 10 words of Jesus are big enough to Embrace that and understand it. In the way that I spoke to you a little more about the name and witchcraft or about, you know, killing folks and, you know, where the lines would be for that. Certainly you'll ask me about when people break into your house or what a, what a, what a proper war looks like. All those things have been discussed in the church. But do the simple things work. First, walk before you run. First, just know this is where the border is. And so when anything comes to murder or adultery or skipping church, you should know that you've edged up near the border and you should pay close attention. There's landmines and razor wire there. Pay attention. You still okay? Don't steal. And this goes easily with 9 and 10. 
don't covet. So in some ways, this just boils down to being happy with what you've got. Doesn't mean you shouldn't, it doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard. Doesn't mean you shouldn't make a lot of money. I've known four or five people in my life, literally, whose spiritual gift was making money. This is remarkable. They literally, everything they, they touch turns to gold. It's not by hard work. It's not, you know, it's not lottery ticket stuff. It's that they know, know how to do it. Then the great challenge is to get them to use that money for other people. You know, first, first I'll, I'll say this to you later, but you might as well be forewarned, you know. The standard number in the church is 10%. But frankly, a guy like you, your number's probably 40%. Oh, sorry I had to say that out loud. But if the elders could get with him, that'd be fabulous, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Not out behind the dumpster. No, I mean, I just meant a regular home visit. I mean, for some people, right? But it's also true on the, on the, on the poor side, where people who don't have anything, you know, there's this myth of the noble poor. I mean, if you've been around poor people, I mean, they're just like everybody else. There's fabulous poor people, and you can't believe how they can do it despite the challenges. And there are poor people who are less than fabulous. It's true for rich people, too. It's true for people. But as Jesus says, you know, where your heart, there your treasure. We're easily, you know, derailed by money and stuff because, after all, it's one of the ways you can get just a touchdown satisfaction and some distraction that looks like happiness, right? This is, money is a dangerous thing, or it's a fabulous thing. It just depends on if you're any good at it. Most people aren't any good at money. So the Lord's saying, be good at money. And here's the other side of it is, be good with what you've got. It doesn't matter how much some of us have. We're always looking at somebody else's thing, saying, if I only had that person's, pick something. Job, money, car, spouse, kids, education, vacation home, blah, blah, blah. I'd be so much more happier. Actually, you wouldn't be happier. And if you think you would, you should come and talk to me. I'll make you exceedingly unhappy. And then you'll end up by saying, my sins just aren't good for me. I mean, here, let me just give you what Luther should have said at the point for the um, ninth commandment. If I was writing this today, I would say, you know, you should fear and love God that my best friend can win the lottery and date the prom queen and get a full ride to play quarterback at Notre Dame and I'm still happy for him. <laughs> That's what it means. So sort of put these together. We should fear and love God so we don't take our neighbor's stuff Keep your fingers off of people's stuff. Get them in any dishonest way, right? Don't, don't think that you get more money just because you're more clever, but help him improve and protect his positions. Give his wallet back. He's going to have to pay rent. Or nine, don't covet. Covet's just another way of getting something somebody else has, but you don't really snatch it, but you're all the time, your fingers are just an inch away. We should fear and love God that we don't scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house. I actually know a pastor, true story. I know a pastor. I, well, I know a kid whose dad was a pastor in Nebraska. And his dad said, you got to go to grandma's house. And he says, um, I got I to gotta sort something out. And, you know, he peeked in the window as he was going. And his dad was sitting in a chair like this. And there was one brother with a shotgun on his lap and another brother with a shotgun on his lap and they'd asked the pastor to work out divvying up the family farm. Don't steal. 
Don't covet. Just be thankful for what you've got. Though you may not drive a great big Cadillac, sing with me, gangster white wall, TV, and none of you? Nobody? In the back, that's my boy Schlesselman. You win the steak dinner. This is why I can't teach confirmation anymore. Because if I say, Sergeant Hoka, you're a big toe, nobody knows what I'm talking about, and I can't reach the children. So, so this joy group is in my future. All right. We should fear and love God that we don't scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house. It's a comfort to you, Schlesselman, that Tracy Chapman won Country Music Song of the Year. Think about it. We saw it on the first time around. Ah, not their inheritance, not their house, not a way that just appears right. See, that would be a lie. You see all these things kind of go back and forth. But help and be of service to him in keeping it. See, this is amazing stuff. That not only that you don't take it away from people, but that you say, hey, I could help you with this for free. And then the 10th commandment, don't take their people either. Uh, you have to hear this, you have to hear this both in the time it was given and then in Luther's time. Don't covet your neighbor's wife, servants, ox, donkey, anything else. Just be happy with what you've got. We should fear and love God so we don't entice or force away our neighbor's wife or workers or animals or kids or, you know, anybody else. But urge them to stay and do their duty. And there's such a pregnancy in that of, that we all have duties to other people. We don't even think about that. You know, what are, what are my, what, what's my duty to you? Beyond my family, what's my duty to you? As people in the church, what's my duty in my community? You know, in my nation, what's my duty to order? To honesty, to truth, what's my duty? And then, um, you know, we can go back to the Eighth Commandment then. Hey, don't tell lies either. Because lies are poison. Right, when you tell a lie, it's very difficult to get it back. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so we don't tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Um, if you're old enough, you learn, put the best construction on everything. Right? How can, how can you do that? Now, I can only sort of go so far, but John, you know, it was so helpful. Your question was so helpful. Evil works by disguise. These things act as if they're these things. How do you tell an angel from a demon? Anybody know? Basic rule. If he gets this right, it will mean that I've lived for something and not for nothing. Demons comfort you and then frighten you later. Good. Angels frighten you first and then comfort you. Perfect lead into Advent. Demons console you and then frighten you. Angels frighten you and then console you. Watch the Christmas stories. The angel will come to Zechariah and he's terrified and remains so terrified he can't speak. The angel will come to Mary. First terror, then consolation. 
these things, lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, witchcraft, curses, skipping church, having other gods, at first console, and then someday and forever frighten. You remember that I said that hell is when you get your way forever. Last thing. Do you have a little, uh, do you have a quote from Elizabeth Scalia? Do you have that? It'll look like this. It's in the bottom right corner. I think you do because it's over in this stack. It's nice to know or at least read people who are so much smarter than you are. You got this? It's, uh, so it's page five, Lent on the bottom. Got it? You got it? See if you can find it because she's worth, she's a genius. I mean, it's, she's worth the read. I, so I just leave you with this. Hardly anyone believes it, but it's true. Obedience. Now, obedience means, Jesus, abide in me. If you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Or the, the most horrible words in Scripture, Jesus to his, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That is, that is piercing. Obedience all of this in here, all of this. Obedience brings tremendous freedom. John, just in case you, I just didn't want to be clear. You can go all the way to the border. Just don't go by. In fact, if you like horror movies, you can get binoculars and peer over, but be careful. I, until you get a little older, maybe. Remember the age, you couldn't read song, if you were studying to be a rabbi, you couldn't read the song of Solomon, which is all about sex. You couldn't read that until you were 30. That was held back. So for you, you're still a young guy. You should probably just only go about this far. But when you get, get as old as the Zagers, you can go kind of here. You get to be that table. I mean, wander all the way up here and get on the platform and look over. They've seen everything over here, isn't it true? <laughs> Obedience brings tremendous freedom, which means like the garden, you're free to eat from all the trees that you want. Have some fun. Tend and keep. Have dominion. But just watch out for the trees over there that don't belong to you. That would be stealing. Obedience brings tremendous freedom, freedom to our lives. But we can't possibly know that until we practice it. You can't possibly know what it's like to be generous until you tithe and give alms. You can't possibly know what love is like until you tell the truth. You can't possibly understand the Eucharist until you've had it every Sunday for 20 or 30 years. You just you can't get it. You can't possibly know unless we practice it. And practicing it is hard. All your little hoodlum friends are still in bed and they door dash their sprinkled donuts. They didn't have to come, get up and come here for it. And sometimes, all against our instincts. What's my instinct? To be my own God. Except, as I recently wrote about something else, 
the hard stuff is also the great stuff. And that is the thing we hope that you discover here. That the hard stuff is the great stuff. I know it's hard to get out of bed on Saturday morning. Believe me, I don't, I don't like to get up in either on Saturday. But the hard stuff is the great stuff. Forgiven somebody who slandered you or stolen from you or hurt you, yeah, it's hard, but the hard stuff is the great stuff. The hard stuff is also the great stuff. There is no greatness in taking the easier, wider path. The way is narrow that leads to the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to hear that not as this, but as this, as in, let's go to the kingdom of heaven. Got it? All right, we should go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.